Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Cricket Lectures podcast, where we talk about everything related to Pakistan cricket. I'm your host, Jay. I'm joined with Rufan. What's going on, Rufan? How are you? Hey, man. I'm, I'm good. Uh, just uh, a little stuffed. Just came from a restaurant. Had all the good stuff. Chaat, <laughs> paratha chai, and oh, uh, mixed with cheesy fries and mozzarella sticks for kids. <laughs> wow. Delicious. Everything sounds delicious. Yeah, but I don't feel very good at this time. <laughs> yeah, the guy, I, I, well, it was weird, man. It was a weird environment there, too. It's a new restaurant we went to, and everybody was like, there's something in the air. All the waiters were like zombie-like for some reason, and I thought I, I was catching that, too. Uh, so this one guy, uh, he's taking the orders, and he's like, uh, they have all types of parate, right? Aluke parate and stuff. And uh, he asked me, like, what kind of parata you want? I said, plain. And he goes, plain to roti hoti hai. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? I'm like, you think I was just That's inducted not a to... I know, man, but there's a plain parata, right? If it's not of course there's kima. a plain parata. I'm you like, know. you think I just got inducted to Desi community just now? You just <laughs> had to explain that part to me? That is weird. And, and then this one lady, I, she was taking all the dishes and I opened the door for my kids and made like an arch with my arm and they went underneath and the door open with them and the waitress did the same thing she ducked and That's went underneath hilarious. <laughs> like what is going on oh my god there's there no two. concept of like personal space and then and while we were eating finishing up she brought the windex and started cleaning <laughs> on a half of the table while we're still eating and like that's classic yeah. though right cleaning while yeah. you're at the table it's a new restaurant, so they're they're learning. I think they they hired all their family members and cousins and stuff, and uh, aunts and uncles to run the business. Uh, clearly, <laughs> but it was uh, they got a funny story out of it. Well, they sound pretty down to earth. <laughs> What's going on, man? You've been watching the T Twenty National T Twenty Cup or highlights, have- maybe. Yeah, highlights. I've been I've been doing a little bit of highlights. You know, I've been trying to keep up with a lot of just what people are talking about on you know, as far as the reporters are concerned and the analysts are concerned. I try to keep up with some of them, and I've been listening in on what's going on right now. One of the topics is as we were talking about in our last episode, like we don't know who the team is, and some people are pretty upset about it, man. Some people are questioning why there's no team yet still. Yeah. And it sounded like the October 8th, tomorrow, was supposed to be the deadline to have oh, the is team. It? I thought it was 11th. Okay, that's even earlier. Yeah, I think, I mean, I heard some people talk about it. So we'll see what actually ends up happening. But it doesn't sound like we're any closer than we were last week. So Yeah, but you know who uh, out. outshined really is Sir Faraz is playing pretty good. And and so is Heather Ali, man. Uh, he... He, his innings was a treat to watch yesterday. 72 runs, a lot of clean hits, sixes. And I was really hoping that they, they might bring him back in. And I know we talked about, is it ethical to change the team after you announce it already? But why is it not, right? If you have a deadline and you have the you know ability to change the team and you happen to have a nationwide T20 Cup, where people are informed, is it so wrong to change the team at the end? Or what do you think about that? That's a really good question. I don't think it's it's wrong. I do think it is not very thoughtful. Right. Because it, here's the thing, because you know, a lot of time T20 
you know, I don't want to be just disrespectful of the format at all. I just, I, I tend to be a cautious person in, in things like this. So it's just my approach to it. But in my approach and in my understanding and my thought process, I would not want to make a decision about team selections this close to the start of a tournament based off of some performances that just came up that just happened because right. you know in t20 there can be a bit of tukka buzzy you know you you might have a good day a good night the other team might there's like the fielding is horrible in this tournament i don't know if you've i've noticed you've yeah. noticed this so like these teams are dropping six seven eight catches stumps and stumpings and like there's all kinds right. of things happening and you're like okay are people taking this seriously is this really that high level of a competition that it started off like it started off really intense but i think things have slowed down a bit or players have started started to kind of loosen up a little bit so i i don't know if these performances can be used reasonably to really make that decision about letting somebody into the team so i would have liked more data more information a number of series to really make that decision i wouldn't pick just if just because you did something really well in this particular tournament to me, doesn't automatically entitle you to a, to a spot on the team. I agree. And also these players who didn't get selected, they have a point to prove. So they're, they have emotions involved in their performances and they're extra aggressive. And once they get selected, they might calm down and not play as well. So we clearly noticed that with Sarfaraz, Heather Ali, Shoaib Malik. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly they're, they're extremely good and yeah, they're definitely sure. trying to prove a point. I saw something about Shreve Malik. Didn't he score 11,000 runs just now? Like he hit his yeah. 11,000 mark. Um, Sarfraz, you were talking about Sarfraz, and I, I I have not seen him in like a bad patch. I I just thought Sarfraz was let out of the team for, for various reasons, but one of them I thought was to bring once again to to a fresh start, new blood, new yeah. captaincy. So for me, you know, it was surprising. And to this day, many people still talk about why did why was Safraz let go? He has a great record, won big tournaments, and he's very he's a very smart captain. He's a good leader, a good wicketkeeper. I think his uh, batting performance was a bit down. He was he was adding on a lot of runs, but. Not impressive. There's uh, lots of 15 and 20s and 25s. And but see, that's, it, not, that's, that's not, not the only requirement, right? For, especially from a captain who's, who's already also a wicketkeeper. So he already has three hats to you know, yeah. shift. So, but, it shouldn't be that way. Right. I agree. You know, because like I, I think about some of the other captains around the world, like if they're not doing so well and and usually you know for captains a lot of times it is the batting that suffers from time to time even uh Virat Kohli has had a patch like that He's recently patch going right now yeah right yeah. exactly <laughs> and other teams appear to or at least the selection committees and other teams they appear to understand that the what it takes to be a good leader you know far outweighs a bad batting batting patch or something like that. So out of the jobs that a captain has, the batting performance is not the ultimate priority out of right. the, the many hats, like you were saying, the captain wears. You know, if they screw up the decisions in the field, that has a far bigger outcome, a negative outcome potentially than 
if they, you know, only scored 15 runs in that game. Yeah, and then then they're not coaches either, right? So they're not off the field. So I think that really reflects people are watching and there's a lot of pressure because they are part of the team. I mean, they can they can be great captains like Dhoni, Imran Khan, uh, but but people are watching and you know how how they see performances, they want to see those sixes and good strike rate and there's a, a lot of pressure on air, everybody, man. They get criticized. It's, it's easy to sit outside and talk about it, but uh, there's a lot of other factors that probably went into it we don't know about. I was thinking, you know, today we wanted to talk about, speaking of the additions and the missions, we were going to talk about Lakar and Mispa's uh, time at the PCB and as coaches. Um, what was your overall impression of that? Did they leave too soon? No, they've been around for a while. <laughs> they they <laughs> left too quick, if, if you ask me, right right before T20. But uh, it's it's really difficult to criticize or compliment Wakar and Mizba, isn't it? it they, yeah. they really ran a safe campaign, status quo type of deal, and not much ambition to notice, in my opinion. But also remember, these two are probably the most scandal-free ex-players we have. At least Misba. I don't think he's he said anything wrong or done anything that brought him in the attention of media. Is pretty safe, and that's the type of campaign they re- ran, in my opinion. It's funny. Every statement I make about them, I'm gonna end up defending them because that's the. There's not much to pick apart or compliment at the same time. Like I said, right. So mm-hmm. I feel like their approach in the dressing room was a bit strict, and that's that's what the rumors were. But at the same time, it eventually broke a lot of lobbies that were historically there, right? So there were some who were whistleblowers and they self-destructed themselves and others got in line and followed uh, their code, whatever it was. It was more of a military-like robotic uh, stance they took where discipline was number one, then everything else follows. Right, which is which is nothing wrong with that. Discipline is is a key factor that should be applied in life in general, or any other line of business. Mm-hmm. But the only problem with that is then then you leave. Uh, if there's no flexibility, and if you have extraordinary explosive players, they are their brains are wired differently, man. If they're explosive on the field, they're also very outspoken with loud mouths and they want change (laughs) you know because these this is the new generation and i feel like there was no room for that anybody who talked against their rules or against them was sidetracked and and i don't want to mention any names you already know they they came out in public and talked about them and and again to defend wakar and mizbah they weren't so transparent but they were also very diplomatic so they didn't talk crap about anybody or any of these players who were speaking against them. But what they did limit is to all these superstars that we have in the past. These are not your regular follow the code type of guys, man. They're different. They're unique. They're creative. They think outside the box. And if you have a strict environment, the way Misba and Makar had, they might not last very long in that type of environment. So I think that's, that's the only uh, the disadvantage you have with disciplined uh, environment and you're not allowing these younger guys to speak up and take their ideas. And that's, that's the only factor that they missed 
other than that, I think they eventually achieved what they were looking for, especially in the last two years. Uh, the dressing room environment was good. And I was, I've been watching this T20 National League and other matches, uh, PSL, and I've never seen our players bond together so well, man. Even in, in the opposite team, they were joking around and there, there, there was not much aggressive behavior towards each other, which was good to see. And I've, I've, I haven't seen that before. So whatever they did, you know, we, we, we say, Mizbah, we, we say, we call him tuk-tuk, right? Tuk-tuk is, is mm-hmm. frowned upon term, but it really means sound and steady and safe. And I think that's how I describe their whole tenure. Uh, safe play with not much ambition. And when there's no action and not a lot of drama, you feel like nothing really happened. But behind the scene, they probably did a lot for PCB. And then they, they remain uh, silent about it. They, they're not talking uh, bad about anybody. So they're, they're very professionals, man. These are, again, scandal-free two players who came in to do the job and, and then did it in a very safe surrounding. And they, they were very, you know, honest about it. They, they didn't speak uh, bad about anybody. They didn't criticize anybody and they were probably asked to resign and they still didn't speak against Ramiz Raja. So I, I do definitely, that's the only compliment I would give them that they, they, they were very professional and diplomatic, but I think they missed some chances uh, for the team to evolve and grow at the same time. Yeah. I think a lot of what you're saying, I, I agree with, I feel that if we look kind of zoom out a little bit and examine from a distance, how their few years went with the team and how the team performed under them. I feel that they had gotten a new team. Everything was new. There were some big changes made as well with all the younger players coming in. And there was a new uh, chief selector as well in Muhammad Wasim, I believe. And a lot of people had to learn how to work together in this new management, new structure, new CEO, you know, everyone, everyone had to kind of get together and learn how to work with each other and try to execute, set up and execute a vision. I think when we look at all of that together, it feels like they've done a decent job. It did feel like the team was getting along well. For a long time, there was no scandals coming from within the team. I know there was a situation with Muhammad Amir. He, he took on a retirement. And as far as I can tell, that was the biggest kind of news story that happened during their tenure with Misbah and Wakar. I don't recall any other huge controversial events taking place, which shouldn't happen anyway. But I think in, 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 the, in the case that we're talking about, that is a thing to celebrate. I think that shows their professionalism and the philosophy with which they ran things. And what you mentioned about their diplomatic nature you know i've i view that as being highly skilled at keeping a professional demeanor at all times and modeling what that looks like to younger players who are new in the team and who are learning how to carry themselves in world cricket so i thought there were good examples of that and i think that's not something that we should take lightly that setting a good example for all the new players who are coming in is one of the biggest things that you should do when you're in leadership when I look at things a little bit more closely, I ask myself the question, what did uh, Wakar Yunus achieve? 
Now, before I share my thoughts on that, I just want to clarify my position on Bakar Yunus. I'm a fan. I think Bakar is a legend of legends. He's like, um, you know, Michael Jackson didn't in, invent the moonwalk, but he made the moonwalk famous. Bakar Yunus similarly didn't invent the swinging yorkers yeah but he made them famous like nobody hears an in-swinging yorker and thinks about anyone other than Wagar Yunus so what a gift to the game what a gift to cricket and you know he's a member of the hall of fame at ICC rightfully so so we're talking like legend legendary legend you know (laughs) like this is is, uh, every time uh ball (laughs) every time somebody bowls uh reverse swinging yorker people are thinking of Yunus. that yeah. that that's that's a footprint man that you can never erase no. right so, it's like like you said michael jackson every time you see break dance you're thinking michael jackson in the back of your head no right. matter who's doing <laughs> that so i totally agree on that uh but but go ahead finish your point well my point is so what 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 i might share with regards to my concerns is not an indication of the status of Yunus. You know, so having said that, I asked myself, what has Wakar as a coach accomplished? And then I look at the bowling side and I don't have a lot of complaints. Given what Wakar was given to work with, you know, we had Nassim Shah, Rauf, Shaheen, and Hassan Ali, right? The, these four main bowlers come to mind when I think of Wakar's time this last round. And it also should be mentioned, Wakar has had several stints with the PCB, at least five. I think this was his yeah. fifth, fifth or sixth. So he's been in and out, in and out, in and out a lot. And that some people have a problem with that. And um, I personally don't like, you know, he earned the position every time he, he applies for a position, he gets it, he comes in and he tries to do a job. Yeah. yeah. He lives in Australia. He could have, people want to hire him. He could have done it for Australia. He could have done it for India. They would India would love to have him as bowling coach. They were, especially five years ago when they were struggling with fast bowlers, and they always have been, right? They only had one talent at a time, but now they have uh, multiple uh, uh, pace bowlers. But but uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, Wakar would have been a great choice. They did hire Vasim for IPL, so you never know. But I don't think Wakar showed much interest and he remained loyal to PCB. Yeah, but that's two different things, right? These, he, he, what happened was when I talk about Mizbah and Wakar, I think it took time to get everything corrected, where Mizbah was also a chief selector and a head coach. There's some conflict of interest there, too much power, right? When that was reversed, and Mizbah kept on the team very well in, in his five, six years when he was playing for Pakistan. So when he became the head coach and Wakar became I think he's he's done that multiple times in the last 15 years. He became the bowling coach. That's when everything applied where it should be. And that's when we saw the real change in the last three, four years where bowlers are excelling because they have a coach like Okar Yunus. And then you have a captain mind like Mizbah running the show. I just feel like Okar Yunus gets a lot of slack when I don't think he deserves it. I think he, because he's a bigger name, in the Pakistani media, his name constantly comes up as in kind of a negative light a lot of times. 
And I, I, I don't feel that's fair in my assessment of things. That's why I was mentioning the four bowlers, the pacers that come to mind when you think of a car in this last, last stint that he had with the PCB. And, you know, he worked with what he, he was given. He, he's not the one picking the players. Right. Some people sometimes feel like, oh, it's Wakar Yunus. He should be picking out other Wakar Yunuses and finding them all over the country. And but that's not his role. He, he's not. not role. Yeah, he's not going out looking for players. Maybe he can be. Maybe he, he if he had extra time, he could. But like he's the bowling coach of the of the national team. And his job is to spend as much time with them as possible and work with those guys to help them perfect their talents. Right. And maybe in the process, maybe teach him a few things, you know, because at that level, we know that it's hard to teach a lot of new stuff when you're already at the pro level. It's more about, you know, harnessing your given your talents already and strengthening your strengths even more and executing them at will with perfection. It's really about that kind of work. It's all technique. And these professionals know how to execute them but he's, he, he can't make more of a car unices that's that's, that's <laughs> one unfair. in a million type of deal the yeah. car unis is a car unis he's not gonna uh clone himself into multiple bowlers but it's uh, it's a matter of how long you've been involved and that's just the nature of the beast man it's uh what's that line you either die a hero or live long enough to make to see yourself become a villain and that's that's the deal <laughs> he's he's been around PCB too long. Yeah. And every time we lose a series, it it goes back onto his shoulders. Like he's the only one running the show. Exactly. So. Because he's he's the bigger name and his name is in everyone's mouth. <laughs> it's unfortunate. So like, you know, Wakar for me is actually pretty easy to answer. Like, you know, he's a bowling coach. Look at your bowlers. Are you satisfied? I feel pretty satisfied. Yes, we don't have any more Wakar Unices, but given what we have, they're doing a decent job. The, the, the bowlers are pretty good. They're okay. I mean, we can, we can definitely, it, we should still keep looking, <laughs> but the bowlers are good. Now, when I think of Misba on the other hand, and I ask myself <laughs> the same question, you know, he's the head coach. How's the team doing overall? Yeah. And then I cannot honestly, really with all due respect, I cannot really see, the the impact Mispa's had on the overall performance of the team, which is what I assumed and thought would be his primary job to help the team achieve bigger and better results. I I haven't seen those. Obviously, people can argue that they did win a lot of the series, but like the the glaring problems have stayed on for like three years, man. We have no middle order still. Yeah. So, you know, things like that, I, I, I don't like still chasing up for us as a chasing a target. A total is always harder for us. Things like that haven't improved. So, and the aggression in cricket is always missing. You know, I recently saw some stats about just in, in, in 2020s, Pakistan was ranking really low on how many balls they spare and leave unscored and Pakistan was a pretty, you know, they had, they were pretty high up there amongst the worst teams. So things like that, when I see that, I'm like, what, what was the contribution? Did, did he just train Bobber to be a captain? I mean, I don't know. What do you think? From, from his captaincy, uh, I, I thought he, he made all the new blood, young talent, just like himself. 
Uh, I remember when he was the captain of ODI and, and test team, we were putting up average 230 runs, <laughs> yeah. right? So he, he did come out of that, right? It, it, that, that, that I do uh, see that he, he adapted to the new era of cricket. But, but I totally agree. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's lack of ambition, and it was a safe play a low risk campaign he ran. He didn't want to take a lot of chances. And you know how cricket is evolving these days, man. We're, we're competing at every level and you got these 16 year olds playing T20 and they're not going to think the way Misbah thinks and how things were 20 years ago. And I, I, I don't think he could adapt to that even though our players started putting up higher score than 230 after he retired from captaincy but I, I can't give him all the compliments uh i don't think he did anything towards that it was the batting coaches and again wakar yunus the bowling has been good not much, much to complain about the fielding's always been weak but overall performance yeah we we've been what number seven in odi for what 15 years and we, we remained there so not much change there yeah and i feel like there were Again, there was these glaring problems that everyone was talking about, yet the needle did not move in a positive direction in those problems, like fielding, like running between the wickets, like playing more aggressively and using power plays better, and like who's going to be on number three, four, and five in the batting order. You know, how long do you need to solve any one of those problems? Yes, many of them are big problems and complex and will take many seasons maybe to resolve, but some certainly are, don't seem that way because the team was good in some things before, like scoring at a better strike rate, like, you know, running between the wickets. Those Some of those small things have, to me, you know, from the outside looking in, feel like we're not as good at as we were before. How much power you think Mesba has as a head coach? I mean, he's not out there. He's watching, managing all the coaches, right? Batting, fielding, bowling coaches. But it, can he pull strings to employ or fire new uh, coaches? Or, or does he have to work with the chairman? And our chairmen were politicians and, you know, historically they're, okay, we'll get it done. Uh, yeah, we've t- taken notice. So how much pull you think he had in changing these things? I mean, everything counts, right? We can, we can blame Ms. Bawakar, whatever. But how easy is it, it is to, to fire somebody? Because the feeling, you're talking about feeling, right? It's not in Ms. Ba's hands completely, right? It's the coach, the fielding coach. So, so what do you what do you what do you say about that? Do you think Ramiz Raja being chairman now is it gonna make life easier for for the head coach and other coaches? Again, it it depends on your coaching structure. Not everybody has a separate coach for every department of the game. Many many countries do. We have had traditionally for a long time now yeah. people who are doing bowling and and everything else separately. But you know, we we've had consultants, but. In the past, there were times when we didn't have a separate bowling coach. So I think in decisions like that, it is my view that the head coach would have a say in, like what kind of a coaching team they want to set up. I recommend, yeah. Right. 
So I think there's they're saying that, you know, there's all these kinds of rumors that come up about like who has the power, who has the say in what. And it sounds like a lot of times that a lot of these things do kind of gel together and overlap one another. And it's the, the power dynamics are pretty fluid in the sense that or pretty, I guess, divided up in the sense that all of this kind of comes head on when we get the team when the team selection happens that's when we really hear about who has the power who's calling the shots those questions rise the most when we see a team and in that it sounds like i mean the public story that everyone tells us that you know it's the coaches sit together with the captain and you know they sit together with the chief selector and they explain their needs and wants and then the chief selectors come back, you know, he comes back and he gives a, a pool of people and then they decide from there what they're going to work with. I don't know if in reality that's what's happening. So I can't really say who, you know, there's not all of this happens in, in an office probably. So it's hard to know right. who's really pulling the strings. Everybody's watching their selections, right? They watch them on the international level. Why not make this process more transparent, like elections, right? Have a list of people and announce their stats. And this is the reason why we selected these 20 individuals for T20 World Cup. And now it's going to go to board of directors and uh, it's going to go through Wakar Yunus Visba, head coach, chairman, and CEO. And we're sitting now on this day and these are the players and we're going to announce the results. Why not make it more transparent? Because this way you can't blame one person like media and people like us often do. What's, what's so wrong with that? that that's, that's my question. Just make it the whole process public. You don't have to have a reality show inside the dressing room. We don't need to know who says what to who. Just make the process more transparent at least and not just announce a 15-man squad the night before. It's, that's why people are pointing fingers, man. It's not very hard to make it transparent, really. It's not. And I think, you know, Mohamed Seem has done a pretty good job. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see any of his press conferences when he's announced the team. He has changed that. That's that's one contribution he's made that I've really liked. He he's does come, explain why they were picked. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, so he's come in with a little slideshow, a little PowerPoint of each player and their stats. So that's good. I think that should continue. But having done that, it doesn't really solve a lot of problems, it sounds like, because you you can imagine, right? A, a person might have great stats, but a lot of times you really have to look underneath the stats. Like you and I can both score hundreds on 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 two separate days right but your hundred might be weighted differently than my hundred my hundred could have been against my kids your hundred could be against like a team of adults right so like just because we look at stats it's not sometimes it's too too much of an oversimplification of how to pick how to choose and yeah we're looking for fighters we're not looking for uh, of course raw skill set you can you can score hundred centuries, right? But did you win matches in right. those centuries? Did you give other chances? Did you explode when you needed to? 
uh, on the last overs. Or did you score those centuries against quality opposition under right. tough and, and conditions? Did you do it in the first innings or the second one? It's it all matters. It all right. ends up. So, like, I mean, I mean, all of that is still stats, but the stats that I have seen them share have been pretty, you know, low-level stats, surface-level stuff. Yeah, like this, this many, you know, this is the strike rate, this is the average, uh, that kind of stuff. Like the stuff that you usually get in a table when you're watching a game, and then they project it on the TV screen. So, like that's that's decent stats to kind of start with to kind of make your case about who you're picking, but it doesn't give that explanation, the real rationale behind the selection of people, and then you lose out still uh, and on people that seem to have good stats but aren't picked. I know Muhammad Amir's name keeps on coming up a lot of times about why isn't he? He's a, he has the it factor a lot of times. Even if he's having a bad patch, he can be that player that can really turn it around for, for us and whatnot. And, you know, his name never was coming up. He felt he was performing. Coaches felt it, he, he wasn't performing. So there's stuff like that mm. still happening. And at the end of the day, still... You can't deny that people also have to look at, remember we were talking about, you know, players have to check off a lot of different things. And if the personality doesn't check off, I feel like a lot of times the personality holds people back. And then speaking of Mohamed Amir, man, this guy performs when, when he's in a international crowd, he's always done. So he might not be good domestically, but how do you how do you gauge something like that, right? What right. if he doesn't perform? Then then we're like, okay, you sent a guy who sucked at the hundred tournament clearly, didn't perform in PPSL, and he, you know, he's totally against PCB, and he he comes back the day mm-hmm. before, a month before the T Twenty World Cup starts. It's just hard to defend a person like that. Like you said, the personality gotta align with the performance. Exactly. There's a lot of things that they have to take into consideration. So, I mean, to, to 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 wrap up this part of the conversation, I feel like this will always be that thing that's going to be hard to understand and, and kind of pinpoint no matter who the coach is. And that brings us to our, you know, final question really, which was now we kind of don't know who the coaches are going to be. Uh, we know that our new coaches are going to be Matthew Hayden and Vernon Philander for the t20 world cup so we're not sure what happens after the world cup we are excited about their work with the team team pakistan and let's see what happens good luck to them Uh, and on that note we can wrap up today's episode and until next time friends have a good one bye